Welcome to Money Tips by Charles Kelly, author of Yes, Money Can Buy You Happiness. Charles spent over 25 years in financial services, working for banks, insurance companies, and as a qualified independent financial advisor running his practice before setting up his speaking, consultancy, and property business. Money Tips will help you save, make, and accumulate more money. Whether you are a business owner, entrepreneur, employee, or still searching for your vocation. Good afternoon and welcome to Money Tips. This is Charles Kelly. Today I have a very, very special guest all the way from America, Michelle Sila Tucker, who is the founder and CEO of Sila Tucker Incorporated. And uh, Michelle has a very impressive CV. She holds an M and AMI Mergers and Acquisitions Master Intermediary title, as well as a Certified Mergers and Acquisitions Professional, uh, Certified Senior Business Analyst. And Michelle also owns several other businesses in many different industries. Now, as a 20-year veteran in the M&A industry, she's regarded as a leading authority in buying and selling and fixing and growing businesses and her firm has sold over 1,000 businesses in almost every vertical. Now, in addition to being featured in Inc., Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, and USA Magazine, Michelle is an international keynote speaker and appears on regular TV and radio shows, Fox Business, CNBC. And she's spoken alongside, this is impressive, many prominent speakers, Eric Trump, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Kathy Island, Donna Karen. Uh, Stedman Graham, Randy Zuckerman, and many, many more. And she has is the best-selling author of a book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth. And she has a new book out called Exit Rich. That's a great title. And it's actually been endorsed. And uh, she's got four words by Kevin Harrington, the inventor of the infomercial, Steve Forbes, the chairman and editor-in-chief of, of Forbes magazine, and the great Brian Tracy. I've met Brian Tracy in America. I love Brian Tracy. And he said... This practical book is loaded with proven strategies and techniques you can apply immediately to sell your business at a higher price than you've ever thought possible. That is that's such good writing from Brian. But also, she's got endorsements from Les Brown, Jack Canfield, Tom Hopkins, Mark Victor Hansen. So this is a great list. Michelle, this is a fantastic list of endorsements. How do, how do you get endorsements like these for your books? Like, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. You know, I always say it's your your network equals your net worth. <laughs> yeah. So it's really networking. You know, it's about relationship capital. And I've met many of these highly, highly successful, highly impactful entrepreneurs along the way. Um, plus, my co-author, Sharon Lecter, has relationships with many of these individuals as well. So her and I teamed up and got as many testimonials as we possibly can. I got Jack Canfield. She got Mark Victor Hansen. You know? Fantastic, fantastic. Amazing. I'll call Sharon Lecter has an impressive CV herself. Uh, yeah. co-authored the Rich Dad Poor Dad, which was one, one of the books I read very early on. Um, but uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. I mean, how did you originally get into mergers and acquisitions? This was like a yeah. Wall Street thing, you know. <laughs> I um yeah, I didn't wake up one day and say, Oh my gosh, I'm gonna sell businesses, you know. That was <laughs> Never really part of my thought process, but I always knew I would be an entrepreneur. I always knew I would own my own business, businesses, um, and I've owned many different companies in different verticals. I did get recruited from a Fortune 500 company. It's a little company called Xerox. Wow. They recruited me, and within six months, they promoted me to regional vice president overseeing about managing 
a hundred salespeople. And I learned very quickly that I love sales and I love solving problems, but I don't like, and I like management. I like leadership, but I don't like it in a fortune 500 company (laughs) because you just can't get anything done. You're having meetings to schedule more meetings to schedule follow-up meetings. And they're not, you know, there's just so much red tape. So I ended up um, leaving Xerox and transitioning into my franchise development consulting and sales company where I was equity partner with different franchisors. But I I kept having so many existing buyers that kept asking me, I'm sorry, buyers that kept asking me for existing businesses. And at the time, you know, I'm like, well, we don't sell existing businesses. We're only working, you know, in the franchise space. And then I'm like, why am I saying no? I should be listening to the consumer, listening to what they want, you know? And that's really how I started my mergers and acquisitions firm over 20 years ago. Wow. Just by listening to people. Just by listening to people. And, you know, what what a thought, Tom. What a novel thought. Listen to what people are asking for and give it to them. (laughs) Yeah. Why not? Why go against the grain? Um, What type of businesses... Are we talking about how are we talking about huge multinationals, small businesses, medium size SMEs? So we specialize in middle market. So middle market is typically $10 million and up in purchase price. Okay. Um, and usually over a million dollars in EBITDA. We do have smaller businesses that my firm represents, you know, especially on a referral standpoint, because we get a lot of businesses referred to yeah. us by previous clients and yeah. a friend of a friend of a friend. Uh, so we do work with, with smaller type businesses, but our sweet spot is middle market. We're industry agnostic and we're more EBITDA focused. But tell me about a typical kind of business you might be working on now. Um, we, have a, we have a company in the agriculture space okay. um, that we're selling in, in between the 50 to $70 million range. Wow. We have a, um, a bus company, transportation company that we're selling. Okay. Um, that's more in the $10 million range. We've got a pharmaceutical company in the $50 million range. Right. We've got a distribution company in the $250 million range. Um, okay. And we've got several SaaS companies, several e-commerce companies, and several marketing companies that we're working on. Amazing. So these could be for various reasons. It could be owner retirement or uh, just, just people wanting to cash in or, or is it all, all sorts of reasons that people would celebrate. Yeah, it's also it's all sorts of reasons. But you know, if you go back to the basics, I mean, Steve Forbes says eighty percent of businesses will never sell. That's eight out of ten companies right. on the market will never sell. I mean, that really should be a huge wake up call for business owners because you have less than a twenty percent chance of success. <laughs> and right. the number one reason why businesses are not sellable. It's because business owners never plan for their exit. They never thought about selling. They treat their business yeah. as their baby instead of the valuable yeah. asset that it is. And they really haven't planned their exit. They think about selling during a catastrophic event. Internal is health issues, partners, disputes, divorce, death. External is this pandemic we've been in for the last year and a half all around the world. And that's the worst time to sell your company is when you're you know, in, in the middle of a catastrophe. The best time to sell is when your company is doing well. And then the other reason why 80% of companies don't sell is because business owners have never really built a business that buyers want to buy. Yeah. I I think a lot of business owners could could never replace themselves because they are, they are the business and they they don't plan for anybody that could take over and run the business. So why would you buy a business where the business owner is the the main person and cannot be replaced, if you know what I mean? 
And that's the number one reason businesses are not sellable. But business owners sell for a multitude of reasons. You know, first, it's because of a catastrophe occurring, yeah. um, which, like I said, is the worst time to sell. Second is retirement. You know, retirement is great as long as you've planned for it. You didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I want to retire. Let me sell my business because your business is not probably sellable. Yeah. You know, we have to build your business into a sellable asset. So retirement, uh, people sell for retirements. They sell for health issues. They sell for, like I said, divorce, partners disputes, death. Um, They also sell because of burnout. They're tired of of working in that particular business. They want to go out and create something new. Um, and yeah. then they also sell because they feel like, and this is several other companies I'm working with right now, they feel like they've grown it as far as they could possibly grow it with their yeah. current business acumen that they need, you know, they need a new pair of eyes, they need some money in, 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 injected, yeah, um, and they need a new vision. And that's another reason why a lot of business owners look at selling their company because they feel like they've grown it as far as they can with their business acumen that they have. Wow. I, I wish I'd met you a few years ago because I, I found it was very easy to start a business. You get a company and you get a few people together and start a business. But when, when we sold a business, it was a nightmare. We made all the mistakes and you know, we didn't, we didn't even use a lawyer, believe it or not. And we just signed this thing. And, and, and it was just, it was a huge mistake we made when we, when we sold a business, but it was much more involved selling the business, handing it over. And, and I, yeah. I wish I'd read a book like yours. I mean, is that, is that one of the reasons why you wrote the books? Because to help people get an well, idea. I wrote, the, I wrote the books for several reasons. Number one is, you know, I really am the best kept secret. <laughs> yeah. I'm very successful. I've sold lots and lots of businesses. But the problem is we sell all private companies. We don't sell public companies. We can sell public companies, but all of our clients have been private. And when it's a private company, you can't publicize that information. So I wrote the book. Right. You know, to educate more people who I am and what I do. Also, I wrote the book to educate business owners that there is a thing called MA advisors. Right. <laughs> there right. is a thing called business brokers because even though our industry has been around for decades, a lot of business owners don't know who we are and what we do. Right. You know, they've never heard of MA before. Yes. So I wrote the book to educate more business owners. And then I wrote the book to educate business owners, you know, that if you want to exit rich, and not exit poor, like most business owners will exit poor, then you really need to follow the strategies, tips, principles outlined in Exit Rich so that you don't become part of the 80% of businesses that will never sell. Yeah, because you've got a, a particular strategy, an exit model, haven't you, in, in the book? I do. Yeah, I do. Uh, it's called the STGPS exit model. Yeah. Sounds, it sounds uh, good. I mean, it's obviously something people should think about before they put their business on the market because you're not just putting business on the market, you're helping them, aren't you? With, with Right. And, and you should think about it, not just before you put your business on the market, but like Stephen Covey says, you should start with the end in mind. Yeah. So you really should think about your exit from day one of buying or starting a company. And the problem is most business owners haven't done that. They haven't built a sellable asset because they just don't know what buyers are looking for, nor have they given it any attention whatsoever. So you really got to plan your exit from the beginning and follow the STGPS exit model and work on this plan, you know, every day, really. Because if you build a business that buyers want to buy, then guess what you'll have? You'll have competition and you'll have buyers building against each other to pay you maximum value, to pay you top dollar for, for your company. 
That's true. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense when you put it like that, because in your book, you also say that there are five different types of buyers. Yeah. What, what do you mean by that? What, what are the five different Well, types there are of five buyers? different types of buyers. One way to do this, one way to take the listeners to the GPS exit model, because that also describes the five types of buyers. Okay. Sound good? That way people are not wondering, well, what is this GPS exit model? Okay. Let's, just, let's just go through it. So if you want to drive somewhere in the UK, what do you do, Charles? You pull out your phone, you go to Google Maps, and what's the yep. first thing you plug in? Where you are now. Oh, no, where you want to you go. You don't plug in where you are now. You plug in where you want to go. You, you plug go. in your yeah. destination. Yes. So that's the problem with business owners. They don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. Yes. Most business owners don't have a destination. So they end up driving around in circles up and down the financial <laughs> hills to end up nowhere. Yeah. So true. you need to you need to determine what is your destination. Pick a number. Pick a sell price that you would like to sell your company for. And everybody struggles with this. They, pick, they struggle with picking a number, but it's just a number. You can adjust it along the way. So yeah. let's say you want to sell your business for $10 million. Boom, there's a number. Right. Now, what does the GPS exit model need to know? It needs to know what you just said, where you're starting from, what is your current location? Yeah. And in other words, what is your current valuation? What is your business worth right now? And most business owners have never, ever... Correct. Got a business evaluation because they don't think about getting their business evaluated until they want to sell it. And they're like, oh, we need a business evaluation. Yeah. No, that's financial suicide. We go to the doctor once a year to get an annual checkup to make sure our heart's still ticking and we're still kicking. Our business is our most valuable asset. You need to get an annual valuation checkup. Right. And you don't get this from a CPA. Right. You get this from an M&A advisor, an M&A expert that knows how to evaluate synergies. Yeah. And so let's say that you want to sell for $10 million, your current business is worth $2 million. The next step is time frame. When do you want to sell your $10 million company? Let's say you want to do it in 10 years. Okay. Then the next step would be, who are my buyers going to be? This is where we get into the type of buyers. A lot of clients will come to me and say, Michelle, I just need you to represent me with one buyer. I have one buyer. And I'm like, no. <laughs> they go, what do you mean no? I go, no, because the likelihood of that one buyer closing on your business, on a sale of your business is slim to none. They're going to find out something they don't like and they're going to move on to another business. It's a very competitive landscape when you try to sell your company right. because there's so many businesses on the market for sale. So when I come in, I don't just get it ready for due diligence. I come in and look at your business, evaluate it on a proper infrastructure on what we call is your business for now all six cylinders, all six Ps. Mm. And then we evaluate the business. We run projections. We come up with a range. And so the valuation is like crucial, 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 right? So yeah. who are the five types of buyers? Number one are first time buyers. 90% of buyers are first-time buyers. They don't buy $10 million companies, Charles. They buy right. coffee shops and ice cream stores and pizzerias. Yes. And then the second type of buyer is turnaround specialists. They buy distressed assets. They don't buy multi-million dollar companies. Right. And then the third type of buyer is what we call PEGs, private equity groups. They buy two ways, platform, add-on. Platform is, let's say they want to get into food manufacturing and they're currently not in that space. They won't even consider a food manufacturing company unless it has at least $3 million in EBITDA. 
even as earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. Let's say they're already in food manufacturing. They have their platform. They'll look at what we call add-ons, smaller companies under a million dollars in EBITDA to add on to their existing platform. Right. So that's PEGS. The fourth type of buyer strategics and competitors. They typically will pay the highest multiple because they're buying synergies right. to catapult their current company to the next level. So they're buying management teams. They're buying contracts, databases, patents, trademarks. Right. So they typically will pay the highest multiple. The last type of buyers, what I call storm chasers. These are serial entrepreneurs or industry agnostic, and they okay. chase EBITDA. So that's your five types of buyers. So now that you have your plan, you have to reverse engineer it and say, okay, I want to sell my business for $10 million. I'm worth $2 million. Where does my gross revenues need to increase to? Right. My COGS, my operating expenses. Most importantly, where's my EBITDA need to be? If you're right. trying to sell for $10 million, you need an EBITDA between $1.5 to $2 million. True. That's, that's yeah. amazing. Uh, I've, I've, never heard it, <laughs> I've never heard it put like that before. Yeah, and then and then the last I'll give you the last two steps. Yep. And then what are the synergies? What are the, you know, you ask yourself, what are what's the buying criteria? So what are strategists looking for? What are pegs looking for? What are sophisticated entrepreneurs looking for? And then you build your business to meet their specific criteria. It's kind of like when someone starts a business, Charles, they're like, here's my widget, here's yeah. my ideal target market. And they plan everything around their ideal target market specific buying habits, right? Right. Same thing with your business. Your business is your widget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These buyers are your buyers. You yeah. need to build for to, to meet their specific buying criteria so that you can increase competition, create a bidding war, and maximize value. And then the last step in the GPSX and model is what is your why? If this was easy, if it was easy to build a $10 million company, everybody would be doing it. Right. It's not easy. So you need a strong enough, power enough powerful enough why to keep you in the game, keep you motivated, keep you hungry, keep you weathering right. all the financial storms. That's the STGPSX model and the five buyers. That's amazing. That's fantastic. I love it. Um, you've, you've, I really learned something there today about, which you just think, I don't, didn't think who are these different types of buyers, you know? Uh, yep. But I, I love the way you advise people along the way. It's not just like selling a, a listing a house with a real real estate broker. It's this is real advice. Over here we have things called um, business transfer agencies, which basically list a business. And if you look at their website, it will say coffee shop, transport company, and we'll have the, these businesses and the price there. And that's it. They just list them. And yeah. And they don't really advise anybody on, on what, what they should do. And so I, I think your, your service is, I don't know if it's unique in America, but I, I haven't heard of a service like that here. Um, but th then you also talk about an ST6P method to sell your business. Yeah. Uh, do you want to expand on that a little bit? Sure. So the ST6P method, that is the infrastructure. That is the foundation. When you build a house and you hire a contractor, what's the first thing they do? Well, um, yeah. They they dig deep. They put in the electrical, the AC, everything you need for the house. Foundations. And they build a solid foundation. Yeah. And they don't build a solid foundation. The first strong wind that comes by is going to knock that house right yeah. off the right off the, the the ground. Right. Same thing with yeah. your business. 
If you don't build a solid foundation, a solid infrastructure, the first financial storm that comes your way, the first pandemic that comes your way, it's going to knock you right off of the ground and you're going to go out of business. So you need to build that solid infrastructure on what we call the six P's. Right. And I put them in the order um, priority. But number one is is people. You know, people are, are extremely important because you said it earlier, so many businesses are dependent upon the owner. So many business owners have created a glorified job that they go to work at every day versus a business that works for them. True. So first and foremost is people. You don't build a business. You build people and people build the business. Right. Okay. So entrepreneurs have bad habits. And one of the worst habits they have is they think their mindset needs to shift. They think that if you want it done right, you have to maintain control. You have to do it yourself. But they can't be further from the truth because you'll never grow unless you let go of the control. Right. So you got to, entrepreneurs got to focus on their strengths and how are their weaknesses. Now, the problem is a lot of entrepreneurs don't even know what their strengths are <laughs> and your strengths are not everything, you know? So, so the thing about it is a lot of entrepreneurs are like, oh, I'm good at this. I'm good at this. I'm good at it. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not good at half of that stuff. So narrow it down, figure out what your strengths are, hire your weaknesses, put the right people in the right seats and ask the who question. Who opens the door? Who handles customer service, marketing, legal, accounting, yeah. manufacturing, distribution, logistics, quality control? The clue, Charles, is you, 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 you should never be next to the who. Okay. Because we're trying to build a business that can run without you. The business right. will never be sustainable or scalable or even sellable if we don't build a business that will operate without you. Entrepreneurs have to work in their business. I mean, I'm sorry, on their business, not in their not business. In yeah. Yeah. I'm suffering from a cold right now. I don't know if you could tell. <laughs> you mentioned scalability there. A lot of businesses are not scalable, are they? They're just, uh, they, they don't a lot of businesses are not scalable. And they're not, and a lot of businesses are not sustainable. So the second P is product. Before I get into product, let me give you all a little history lesson here. Yeah. When I wrote my very first book called Sell Your Business for Morning's Fourth in 2013, I did the research and learned that 90% of all startups within the first one to five years would fail. That's right. common knowledge. We all know that. But here's what yeah. most people don't know. When I wrote my second book, actually my third book, this is my third book, Exit okay. Rich. And I did the exact same research. I was flabbergasted to learn that the business landscape has flip-flopped. Right. So it's not startups at great risk anymore. Only 30% of startups will go out of business. Okay. Only 30%. Really? Really. But out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses that have been in business 10 years or longer, 70% of them will go out of business. Seven oh. zero. So you see how it's flip flop. Now it's existing businesses that are at great risk. You hear about the public oh. companies all the time in the media, like Toys R Us, a business 75 years goes out of business. Yeah. Kmart, yeah. Steinmart, Pier One, Godive is closing down 1,500 locations. GNC is closing down 900 locations. Disney stores are closing. But yeah. the media doesn't tell you about the private businesses on every street corner, in every town, in every state. These business owners are exiting poor, not rich. Yeah. They're selling for pennies on the dollar, closing their business, or even worse, filing bankruptcy. They're losing everything, aren't they? Yeah. 
They're losing everything. And the number one reason for that is lack of aim. Aim, A-I-M. Aim is always innovate and market. Okay. Business owners stop innovating. Toys R Us did nothing new in 75 years. Yeah. Blockbuster had the chance to buy Netflix twice yeah. and didn't do anything to compete. And now yeah. look where they are. Innovation is key. You're either die, growing or dying. There's like no in between. So the second P is product. You have to ask yourself, is your product, your service, your industry? Is it on the way up or on the way out? Is it thriving or dying? Do you have a, an Amazon and you're in your prime? If you yeah. have an Amazon and you're in your prime, you need to sell. Right. Because business owners hold on to their business way too long. Yeah, you sell that. when your business yeah. is doing well, not when your business is down. And so you have to ask yourself, do I have an Amazon and I'm in my prime or do I have a blockbuster? I'm about to go out of business. Yeah, yeah. And if you're about to go out of business, you need to you need to pivot. <laughs> yeah, you got to do something. Yeah, you got to do something. Ask yourself these three questions. Amazon did this back in the '90s. These are transformational questions. If you want to grow, you have to stop being transactional and become transformational. Okay. And ask yourself, what business are you in? Amazon asked that question, and I go. We're in the fulfillment business. We fulfill book orders. Number two question, what do we do better than everybody else? Right. And Amazon said, we do fulfillment better than everybody else. That's our secret sauce. Right. That's our USP, our unique selling proposition. Number three question, most important question, Charles, what business should hmm. you be in? Ask yourself, what business should I be in? And Amazon said, we should be in a fulfillment business, fulfilling orders for everyone all around the world, not just books. Yeah. Those three transformational questions transform Amazon from a small book fulfillment center to the multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. But yeah, it's massive. It's, it's uh, disrupting so many businesses now. I mean, the, the lifestyle of a life cycle of a business seems to gone shorter for many businesses. In, in, in the past, businesses seemed to drift on for years and years. And in yeah. the UK, we've seen stores that have been around for 100 years closed down. Even Gap are closing all their stores, but Debenhams and, and stores like this. And, and that's just one part of it. That The pandemic has certainly uh, sped up the process of businesses reaching the end of their, their cycle. But do, do you think that the life cycle of a business has reduced? Or is that just me thinking that no, I think businesses follow a life cycle like humans do. Yeah. Businesses follow a life cycle like humans do. I'll give you a perfect example. Do you want me to illustrate this? Yeah, great. great. I'd love to hear it. Okay. So when we're born, we're, 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 where does a doctor and nurse put us? In the incubator. Yeah. When an idea is born from an entrepreneur, it's an incubator. It goes into the incubator. 95% yeah. of business ideas never make it out of the incubator. Thank right. God more humans make it out of the incubator. <laughs> so we go from an incubator to a to an infant where mom and dad bring us home. Right. What does an infant baby need or an infant business need? 24-hour supervision and a lot, lot of money. <laughs> the TLC and, yeah. And 20-hour supervision. You cannot take your eyes off that baby. Yeah. That's yeah. why the baby sleeps in the same room with mom and dad. You cannot take your eyes off of that baby business. Right. 
And then they go from baby, from infant to a toddler. Yeah. Do you have children, Charles? They're grown up now, but I have, yeah. But you had toddlers. Do you remember the terrible twos, threes, and fours? Yeah, yeah. Watching every minute. <laughs> so toddlers, you, you have to watch them every minute. They still need 24-hour yeah. supervision. At least they can feed themselves. They're potty trained. <laughs> yeah. But they still need 24-hour supervision because they're all over the place and they're getting everything. Yeah. And so yeah. are our businesses. Then you go from taller to teenager. Right. And guess what? Teenagers are rebellious. They think they know it, everything. A teenage business owner is rebellious. They think they know everything. They yeah. still need supervision and they need a lot of money. Yeah. Then you go from teenager to adult. Adult is, I'm sorry, young adult. Young adult is when you're really kind of starting to figure it all out. You don't need near as much supervision and you don't need as much working capital for your business. Right. But then you go from young adult to adult. Right. Now, adult is when you're in your prime. This is the best of the best. It's never going to get better than this. Okay. Amazon 2015. Amazon in 2015 was in their prime. They did $11.15 billion in sales. Right. 11.15, I'm sorry, $11.5 billion in sales. Now pay attention to the timeline. After adult, what happens? Well, I suppose you get a bit older. And we go into senior citizen. Slow down. We become senior citizen. We slow down. We get older. You know, we start to kind of revert back to a child. <laughs> we slow down. We get older. So downhill. One year that. later in 2016. So in 2015, Amazon was in their adult phase. They were in their prime. I'm sorry, not Amazon, Toys R Us. They were in their prime. They were doing $11.5 billion in that year. Right. One year later, they they go to senior citizen right. level and they file bankruptcy in 2016. Yeah. Bankruptcy. Yeah. One year later, after doing 11.5 billion sales, what happens after senior citizen? Well, I suppose it's um, it's going towards the either in a home or you're, you're in the grave, I guess. it's, uh, it's You're in the grave. It's called downhill. death. Yeah. <laughs> you're dying. Yeah. You die. It's yeah. death. Two years later, after Toys R Us did $11.5 billion, yeah. two years later, the company died. They yeah. closed 1,500 locations in 35 countries and died completely. Yeah. So now you see how businesses follow the same cycle as humans. Now, Businesses can be rebirthed. Toys R Us tried to rebirth. They tried to innovate. They yeah. came up with four. They came up with four boutique locations where they're much smaller retail stores. But then during the pandemic, they had to shut down all four locations. Yeah. So now you see how businesses follow the same life cycles as human. And guess what? It can be very quick. Well, you're in your prime, and then you're dead. Toys R Us should have sold in 2015 when they were in their prime. Yeah, and I guess it's not as if toys have gone out of fashion. People are still buying toys. It's not like a Kodak situation, is it, where you know people don't use film anymore? But yeah, I, people I think are definitely business... still buying toys. But guess what? Consumers, you got to give the consumers what they want. We got to yeah. go back to asking our clients, "What do you want? What do you need? How can I make it easier for you to do business with us?" The problem with Toys R Us, yes, we're still buying toys, but who wants to drive to the store? In the rain, in the snow, in the cold, in the heat, whatever, 
you know, right before Christmas, fight the parking, go in and be with a bunch of other people. And all the people working there are completely clueless. They don't know anything about toys. (laughs) When you can go online or you can go to a small boutique toy store where you got knowledgeable sales reps that know about their products. Yeah. Why would anybody want to fight True. all the, it's a battle. It's a war zone. Go shopping at Toys R Us. And Toys R Us never got it True. because they never, they never changed their vision. They never innovated. Yeah. So can you, can you tell me, how are you able to sell a business for, for more than they're worth? So we never finished the six P's. Okay. Sorry. But the way, the, it's okay. But the way we're able to sell a business for more than it's worth. Now you're talking about my first book. <laughs> okay. So one of the ways we're able to sell business for more than it's worth. Have you ever looked at a tax return of a business owner when a business owner says, oh, I'm making a half a million dollars. And you look at their tax return and it says they're making $75,000. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. So most, most financials are not really reflective of what that business owner is truly making. Okay. So we go in and we recast the financials. We add back personal expenses, non-reoccurring, et cetera. We normalize the financials. Plus we work with business owners to get their business operating in all six cylinders, all six P's. Right. And when they start building these, because we're only on P number two, when they build these synergies, Buyers pay more money for great businesses operating on all six cylinders. They pay more money for businesses that have an infrastructure with people, product, processes, proprietary patrons, and profits. And they'll pay a lot more money for these proprietary assets. That's how we're able to create a bidding war um, on a sale of a business. Okay. Okay. That, 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 That makes sense. Did you want to finish off on the P's or... Sure. Yeah. It's your show. It's your dance. I just follow. <laughs> Go ahead. Finish off your, your six P's. Okay. So processes what? is number three. Okay. Processes is what you will never sustain or scale without processes. You know, I've heard people say, well, you don't need people. You have to have processes. Well, you got to have both. <laughs> you got to have processes. Unless you have a business completely operated with robots, you need people. Right. So processes are, you have to have processes, but processes are like business exits. Business owners don't think about them until something bad happens in their company. Like, oh my God, we need a process for that. Right. (laughs) No, you need a process before that occurred. So you really need to design your processes from the beginning of buying or starting a business. But here's where most business owners get this wrong. Most business owners design their processes around their own agenda. I'll give you an example. Doctor's yeah. offices. What are their hours? Well, I guess nine to five. I, 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 when do we work? Nine to five. Nine to five. Did they look at the patients and say, let me design my processes, my hours around my patient's experience so my patient doesn't have to take time off from work, clock out, and not get paid to come see me? No. I don't know any doctors who do that. None. <laughs> So that's just a perfect example. But yeah. what if, what if we had our, asked our customers, what do you need? What do you want? How can I make it easier for you to do business with us? And we came up with three things, three that we want our customers to experience. What if we did that? 
It would be a game changer. Let me give yeah. you an example. Stand up in the crowd, yeah. Have you ever watched a movie called The Founder? No. The Founder is based upon the McDonald Brothers. You've heard of McDonald's, right? Yeah. Restaurant. And the brothers. You yeah. have them in the UK, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have a few. <laughs> so go watch the movie The Founder. Okay. The McDonald Brothers back in 1950 said we want to develop a fast food restaurant because there wasn't one. And they said, we want to develop fast food system processes around our customers' experience. What yeah. do we want our customers to experience? They thought about it and they said, we want our customers to experience great tasting food that's yeah. hot, fast, 30 seconds or less, three things. Okay. So McDonald's designed these processes around their customer experience right. back in 1950. And even huh. though they've been tweaked and improved along the way, it is the reason that you can eat at a McDonald's anywhere in the world and yeah. get great tasting food that's hot and fast, 30 seconds or less. McDonald's never said we're going to provide superior customer service. <laughs> McDonald's right. never said the food is going to be good for you. <laughs> yeah. They never said we're going to provide healthy options, right? Yeah. So McDonald's has stayed true to their brand promise. Their brand promise was great tasting food that's hot and fast. So this all is why around this, the world. This is what attracted so Ray Kroc to the business. He could see there was a process there, a queue outside, and and he took it to the to the next stage. But it was a great business because it had the processes, as you said. Ray Kroc did take it to the next stage, but I'm gonna I'm gonna illustrate my transformational questions here, because this is why I want you to watch the movie. Ray Kroc would have never been able to blow McDonald's up if this didn't happen. Ray Kroc was in the bank trying to borrow more money because he was upside down, over leveraged. He took out a a loan on his his house, his personal property. And he was over leveraged. And the bank said, we're not giving you more money. (laughs) He over leveraged as it is. Ray Kroc was so frustrated. He walked out of the bank. A gentleman followed him out. And a gentleman said, I'm sorry, I overheard your conversation. I think I can help you. Mm. He said, what business are you in? And Ray Kroc said, I'm in the restaurant business. He said, no, you're not in the restaurant business. He goes, what business are you in? And Ray Kroc goes, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm in the restaurant business. And this gentleman said, no, you're going to be in the real estate business. You're going to buy the real estate up. You're going to build the buildings. And you're going to lease them back to the franchisees. And when the franchisees are not compliant, they're not paying, you evict them, you put another franchisee in, and you start McDonald's corporate royalty. That's why Ray Kroc was able to basically steal McDonald's away from the McDonald's brothers because he had the leverage of the real estate. Okay. It's also the reason that McDonald's is the largest real estate holding company in the world to this day. But Ray Kroc would have never figured that out on his own. And neither would the McDonald's brothers. It took an outsider's perspective to look at his problem and say, here's your problem. Here's your solution. You need to be in the real estate business. So that's why those questions are so powerful. What business are you in? What's your USP? What business should you be in? Okay. So processes need to be designed with the customer experience. So ask yourself, what are the three things I want my customers to experience? And if you can't figure it out, guess what, Charles? Who should you ask? The consumers. Right. <laughs> what do you want? What do you need? How can I make it easiest? You know why, Charles? Because whoever makes it easiest for the consumer to purchase products and services is the company that's winning. Amazon winning right. because you can practically buy a horse on Amazon and have it delivered in two days. 
All right. So that's yeah. processes. It has to be designed with the customer experience in mind. They must be productive, efficient, and most importantly, well documented. You need this policy and procedure manuals, the SOP checklist, you know, per department. The next one is proprietary. And then proprietary is going to take me the longest. The other two are really, really quick. All right. Let me give you a crash course on valuations, Charles. In America, yeah. in America, not sure about the UK, but in America, um, we actually do have a companies we're rep- a couple of companies we're representing from the UK right now, but businesses that have less yeah. than a million dollars in EBITDA, which is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, will typically trade at one to three times earnings, one to three, right. maybe three and a half, depending right. upon their proprietary assets. Except for SaaS companies, SaaS. It, now I want everybody to listen to me because everybody thinks that they're going to get a multiple gross revenues. I'm here to tell you that's not happening. Okay. <laughs> you're not going to get a multiple multiple of gross unless you're a SaaS business software. Then you will get a multiple of gross revenues. Otherwise, it's a multiple of EBITDA. Businesses over a million EBITDA typically will start at four, four and a half, five, and up. Proprietary assets, which is a 4P, can take you from a 4 to a 5 to an 8 to a 10 to a 15 multiple. Oh, okay. You need to pay attention to this section. <laughs> okay. So number there's six pillars to, to proprietary. Number one is branding. The more well-branded you are, the more I can sell your company for, as long as your brand is relevant in the mind of the consumers. Nobody's paying any money for Blockbuster. Right. But guess who they are paying money for? The most valuable brand in the world is Coca-Cola. They're in the top 10. They're worth about 89 billion. McDonald's, Netflix, nope. Amazon. Nope. You name in all the top 10. You name in all the top 10. Tesla. You got the top 10 now. But you know, number one is Apple. I had it on Apple. the start. Yeah. Yeah. I missed that. You, how many iPhones you got? How many iPads do you have? How many iPods? <laughs> there you go. How did I miss that? You know, <laughs> crazy. So Apple is worth $359 billion just for the brand. Yeah. That's just the brand. That's not the cash flow inventory assets or anything else. And then trademarks are very valuable. Trademark your, your company name, your slogan, your logo, your podcast, trademark um, your products. But the, the mistake that business owners make in the United States, not sure about the UK, is they'll go to GoDaddy, they'll think of a name, they'll go to GoDaddy, and they're like, yes, I got the .com, I'm in business. And then they yeah. go to the state inside the United States, and they get a state trademark, but they never check the federal database to make sure that name's available. So then yeah. they pour all this money, energy, effort into building that brand. And I've seen companies be in business 5, 10, 15 years, all of a sudden receive a system to assist letter. They have to stop using that company name. So go out there, pay $1,500 to $2,000 and protect your IP. Now, if you're going to do business abroad, then you need to have an international trademark, not just a federal trademark. Right. And if you have products, most, most business owners don't realize this. We're selling a company in a $15 million range right now because they have 12 products. Each product has a federal trademark. Each product is exclusive to a retail chain store. One is exclusive to Sam's and Walmart. One's in Target. One's in TJ Maxx. Buyers will pay a lot of money for that. Patents are really big. I don't know if you guys have Shark Tank in UK. Similar show. We have a similar show. Yeah. Yeah. So patents are huge. Every shark always wants to know, do you have a patent on that? Do you have a utility patent? We sold a company for $18 million. It wasn't making any money, but they had 18 patents. Right. Okay, so patents are huge. 
Um, let me give you a tip. Make sure that you hold your IP, your intellectual property, in a separate LLC, not in your business LLC. Because if you get sued in your corporation, then they could take your, your, your IP. That's why you always want to make sure you hold it in a separate corporation. And then contracts are very valuable. Manufacturing, vendor, distribution contracts, client contracts are the most valuable, and especially if you have a subscription model with reoccurring revenue. In the United States, 98% of all sales are asset sales, not stock. Most, I've never seen a business owner get this right. You need a transferability clause that said this contract is transferable upon a new entity. Because if the buyer doesn't agree to a stock sale and you have 2,000 clients and you don't want to go to all 2,000 clients to get them to sign consent to transfer, your, right. deal is gonna, your deal is going to just fall dead okay, and not close. So make sure you get that transferability clause. Databases are huge. You yep. could be losing money and sell your company for millions or billions. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. WhatsApp was hemorrhaging, but they had a billion users and Facebook yep. knew that. Facebook knew that they could ROI monetize on that, on, on that synergy. And then the other big thing is celebrity endorsements. We have a client that's got products in front of Oprah. Wow. So teachers will pay a lot of money for that because everybody wants their products in front of the queen of everything. Same thing with radio personalities, e-commerce businesses that have, you know, top three spots on Amazon, Wayfair, Etsy. That's huge. That will, you know, bring you a lot of money. Same thing with content. If you hire 1099s, if you hire, um, if you go to Elance or Fiverr, Odesk or any of those sources, make sure you get yeah. them to sign a disclaimer saying that you own the content, the creative content. All right. Michelle, so, sorry, I've, I've got to start. Uh, I mean, we could go on for hours, but I'm, I'm sort of up to my time limit virtually. But this has <laughs> been so interesting. And I also noticed that in your email here, you, you've, you've registered your STGPS exit models. You've registered the six Ps and your book, your book title. So you're, you're walking the talk there. Uh, so that, that's great. It's been so interesting. As, as, a, as a business owner as well, I've learned so much and think, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> So I think anyone watching this should watch this again and definitely get the book Exit Rich and and the previous book. But yeah, but let people... me tell let me tell them the value they get. Can I do that? Real oh, yeah, quick? yeah, go ahead. I was going to okay. ask how they get in touch with you. And, yeah. So so well, you can get in touch with me by going to SilerTucker.com, SilerTucker.com. Yeah. Connect with me on social media. We'll make sure all the tags are are in your show notes. Yeah. Um, if you live outside the United States, go to Amazon. That's the best way to avoid all the expensive shipping costs from America. Yeah. Just go to Amazon. If you're inside the United States, you need to go to exitrichbook.com because that's where all the bonuses are. If you okay. buy on Amazon, just email us the receipt and we'll make sure you still get the bonuses. So the bonuses okay. are, we'll give you a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club. Okay. And that's video content, me doing deep dives in these different techniques and strategies I'm a teacher over the last 20 years. Plus okay. documents, documents to operate your business, documents to sell your company, sample employee handbooks, policy procedure manuals, sample letter of intents, wow. purchase agreements, due diligence, checklist, closing docs. All these documents are there for you review and download and will cost you over $50,000 if you try to recreate with an attorney. So you get all this for just buying the book? You get all that for just buying a book. Plus, wow. we're giving you a 30-day free membership in the Club CEOs, which is an entrepreneurship mastermind, where wow. it will help you ask those transformational questions. So you can build your sustainable, scalable, sellable business. That's all at exitrichbook.com. If you buy from Amazon, then just email us at marketing at Siler Tucker, marketing at Siler Tucker, okay. and we'll still make sure you get those bonuses if you buy on Amazon. Fantastic.
Michelle, you're a bundle of energy and a bundle of uh, such great information. It's, it's really been fantastic meeting you and, and learning all about this. And, you know, if, I'd love to do a follow-up on this because we could go, we could talk for, for a lot longer than this, but uh, definitely get this book, Exit Rich. Uh, there's so many bonuses there. I think it's just worth it for that. But uh, uh, Michelle, I wish you all the best with your book. And Thank you. I'd, I'd love to talk to you again in the future, but it's been very, very interesting. Thanks very much for, for Thank being you, on Charles. my show. Great. Thank you for having me on. Thank you very pleasure. much. Thanks, Michelle. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Money Tips. For more tips and information, visit moneytipsdaily.com. The information given in this podcast is for your entertainment and should not be construed as financial advice. As always, take independent financial advice before making any investment decisions. 